This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi Williams. The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, stay tuned for a conversation with Hugh Weber, president of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, which owns the 76ers and the Devils and Prudential Center. And there's a lot to talk about. we got a lot yes. to go through. First, let's get through some of the topics of this week. And we start with word of a possible buyer for Derek Gita's Players' Tribune website. Yeah, are you a uh, an everyday visitor to some of the uh, minute media? Well, why is he selling it? I guess it's the best. Because it's losing tons of money. I mean, th- there you go. It- it's losing tons of money. They never really found attraction of creating enough content that they could monetize. Eben and I were looking at some of the traffic numbers the other day. Woof. Shocking. Go ahead, Eben. Yeah, You're the numbers bad. man. Shocking. Uh, yeah, the, from a Digiday story this week, 14 of the past 15 months, they've failed to hit a million unique views on the uh, on the website. I mean, I think it's clear that the Players Tribune does not work as a standalone website. They, they do good content. Uh, it often goes viral in a way that I think a lot of other media companies would be very jealous so of. So if you're Minute, if you're Minute Media and you have you one in your portfolio is the Big Lead, the Big Lead, which how is do another you, sports, yeah, how do you roll this into website? it? With, yeah, not I, really I getting think, that many people. Yeah, I think it, it, the, their thought is probably that you know they're probably not paying all that much for it. Um, most and, bankers and, told me the most this would be is fifty million dollars, which would be significantly less than what they raised at valuation yeah. wise about a year ago. Um, but yeah, I think that the thought is that if you can take the good of Players Tribune, right, which is stories that by athletes, videos by athletes that that go around on Twitter very quickly when they're good, take that and and maybe make it a little bit more efficient. But here's the question: and, and not have the pressure of putting something new, brand new, up all the time. But here's my question yeah. for you, though. Yeah, Durant, you know, had editor title. Kobe was an investor. Now that this thing is in Derek Jeter's baby, and really the way to to bypass traditional media to get your message out. Do those guys still want to participate? I in think these it's, types it's a of great stories? question. The, the the players should be never had any IP value, right? The idea of letting athletes use their own voice to talk to people uh, is something that everybody can do, right? Russell Wilson started this his own kind of version that was bought you by Nike Twitter, you have Instagram, earlier you can, this year. Yeah. There's also direct, direct to your fans. To, yeah. uh, there, there's a lot of platforms out there right now. So that's a, that's a great question. If Minute Media does eventually kind of lock this thing down, will be interesting to see how they their take on, on, on that exactly. This one kind of knocked me off my shoes coming up next. Uh, this is about a New York Times op-ed piece this week from record-breaking runner Mary Kane. Uh, and, and if you want to know what the title is, it explains it all. I was the fastest girl in America until I joined Nike. Yeah, bad look for Nike, certainly. And Evan, I'll let you get a little more specific. But the conversation I had with some folks is this is a tale as old as time. Whether it's wrestlers, swimmers, ice skaters, the fact that they were forced into training techniques, not which I say forced, encouraged. Uh, lose weight, get get some you know bad habits, get illnesses. 
this doesn't surprise me. The problem here from the business of sport is that Nike is really pushing a champion of women narrative. And here's a woman that says, well, the company probably just destroyed me. Yeah, this continues a, a, a rough year or so for Nike track and field, right? It's it, They're by far the most powerful corporate force in the sport. Some say that they are essentially synonymous with, with running, with running yeah. at this point. Um, you know, the, the women that complained about Nike's pregnancy policy, yep. uh, the doping allegations against Alberto Salazar, this yep. woman, Mary Kane, was on Alberto's team. She ran with the Oregon Project, the now defunct now didn't, Oregon didn't Project. did she say that he encouraged her to take diuretics? Yeah, diuretics and birth control pills yeah. as ways to lose weight, which mm. is not allowed in track and field. And, and the buzz on on Salazar beyond the most recent doping allegations that he has always kind of pushed the limits of allowable drugs with exemptions. You know, he's always kind of been been on the on on the far end of that spectrum. I would recommend, you know, sons, daughters, everyone should should listen to, to Mary Kane's video op-ed. I mean, it's it's powerful. Her argument is essentially that there is a systemic problem. Uh, an image is, and and a body problem in women's sports. Would you right not? Now. Yeah, in all of women's sports. I mean, if you close your eyes and you're reading this, okay, you say runner. I would say okay, swimmer. I would say gymnast. I would say ice skater. Absolutely. It seems like we just. It's, I, I just want to pick for on sure. Nike here. Yes, it continues the bad news for Nike, and this was a Nike athlete at the elite level. But it just seems like we're hearing this in, in almost all of these. And is there something to it? It's all of these individual sports. Yes, I think it, that is all true. And what you said at the beginning is also right. Nike prides itself on marketing towards women. I think this part of this woman's point, Mary Kane's point, is just that you know while they are profiting off of the fact that they appear to be yeah. empowering women and their bodies. Let's hear what Alex uh, it's Morgan It's not always to true at other Soon parts Soon to be mom Alex Morgan of a little girl. I'm curious what Alex Morgan will have to say very soon. Hmm. And finally, in Major League Baseball, some words between the Atlanta Braves GM and the Players Union. All right, I'm going to read the, the, the statement really quick. This is from the uh, general manager of the Atlanta Braves, Alex Anthopoulos. Every day you get more information. We've had time to connect with 27 of the clubs. Obviously, the Astros and Nationals being in the World Series, they were tied up. But we had a chance to get a sense of what the other clubs are going to look to do in free agency, who might be available in trades. Let's just say Tony Clark at the Players Union did not like that That statement. sound you hear is Rob Manfred slapping his forehead yeah, <laughs> heavily. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, he has, Alex Anthopoulos has walked this back, but at a time when the union and the and the league are... Distrust. And <laughs> the relationship is not good, this idea that potential collusion in another way than, than the other ways players have, have, have accused them of, um, this, this is a bad one for Tony baseball. Clark, the clear description of club coordination is egregious says the head of the Baseball Players Association. That labor accord expires at the end of next year, or tw end of 2021. Uh, it's going to be a messy one, and this is certainly not going to help. Oh, fellas, let's get a pint and hug it out. Now, let's get to this week's interview with Hugh Weber, president of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, which owns the 76ers and the Devils and the Prudential Center. Thank you so much for coming in, Hugh. Uh, thank you very much. Great to be with you guys. Normally, I visit you at your place, the Prue, but... It's nice to have you in uh, New York for a yeah, little bit. Yeah, it's uh, obviously uh, being able to talk about the things we're doing outside the walls of uh, the Prudential Center is pretty fun. But uh, the building's been super busy. The teams, uh, the, the, the Devils and 76ers, we think are, are in poised for a good place. And uh, it's an exciting time for Harris Blitzer Sports. Yeah, I would think it's a better time than two or three seasons ago when people were talking about process and future. <laughs> and at least now we're talking about the present. 
and the promising future. Those are different things for a sports franchise. Yeah, so our our agenda hasn't changed much. We've been thinking about the future for a long time, and I think that's uh, I think what you're just starting to see is the hard work actually come to fruition on the court, on the ice. But in fact, you know, with the things we're working on today, I'm sure we'll be talking about four years from now, and I think that's just the nature of this business. But again, whether it's esports, it's the building, it's the Devils or Sixers. Um, you're judged based on your last performance, and that's just the nature of our business. But it is a promising time, and our fans are obviously excited. Speaking of last performance, when you have a guy like Joel Embiid, <laughs> let's call him Scrappy. <laughs> <laughs> now, yes, I know everybody can debate about on the court and what happened, whatever. But two things. One, the man is a star in the NBA. And two, he generates news. And three, he brings people in the seats. Can you can you talk about that when you have an asset like well, that? I think Joel is Joel, and I think that's what makes him authentic. Uh, the people connect to him, our fans. Uh, he's interesting and, and obviously provocative at times. Not only um, using his channels, his platforms to speak his mind, but also to use the court as a stage. He's he is much more than than a competitor and a, and a warrior, and I think that's what the fans really embrace. And I think across all of our platforms, I think that's true for you know PK at Subban on the on the Devil side. It's true for Jack Hughes. I think these narratives are what our fans are interested in. And he's obviously uh, a hero and a, an amazing story unfolding for the Sixers. Hugh, you were running the Devils for a while, got the promotion to president of the entire organization uh, a couple months ago. I'm curious, how how much does your day-to-day change when you go from one team in one city to multiple teams in many different cities, even international? Yeah, uh, Harris Blitzer Sports is a little different than most entities in the fact that we have, uh, instead of running each team separately, we actually have a a very collaborative culture that is matrixed across all of our teams. So we have people supporting multiple teams. So I've been engaged with and working with on, on the Sixers for a while. What this has changed has done, though, is it's gotten uh, everybody in a, in a lane that allows us to be positioned for where we want to go. So the day-to-day stuff, how the Devils are marketing and how we're selling tickets and how we're showing up for our fans and the same for the Sixers, that's all run by Chris Heck in, in Philadelphia and, and Jake Reynolds in, uh, in uh, New Jersey. And that allows allows us to kind of figure out how we're leveraging this entire resource of 560 employees now to go out and grow both organically our teams, but also find the next opportunities and ways to innovate. And that's what Scott and I are, are spending most of our time on. Where do you spend the most of your time? Is it Newark? Is it Philly? Or is it New York? So it's split, and unfortunately, it's uh, episodic. So this week, our teams happen to be on the road, right? So uh, we're doing, I'm actually in New York more this week than anything, uh, working with partners and, and getting out and uh, talking about what we're doing. But um, I would say uh, we do have routines and patterns, and it's usually two days in, in New Jersey and two days in Philadelphia, and then a day here in New York. Tell me about that culture you talked about. How do you establish culture? And it, it does really have to come from the top. You need that leadership to set the tone and have everybody buy in. Right. So it starts with uh, Josh Harris and David Butzer, who I think are um, Josh Apollo, David Blackstone. These so are these are innov- we're, we're familiar with them. Yes, yeah, they're innovative, insightful, very diligent about how they approach uh, and solve problems. And so that is a, a piece of DNA that runs through our culture for sure. We attract people who are looking for hard things to solve. And you think about what the 76ers went through with quote that the process. You think about what the Devils. It, we're in this quote big market supposedly, you know, in the shadow of New York, but New Jersey. 
Jersey is very much a, a tertiary market, and even in hockey, you have three teams here. So, so these are these are we love challenges, we love overcoming tough problems, we love solving. And so, I don't think you get in the door to work for Harris Blitzer Sports if, in fact, you're not looking to create and, and change and innovate and dynamically affect the market, whether it's the sports market or it's the community or whatever. Um, so it starts there, but generally. We have a, a no jerks policy, so uh, you see culture. We used to have that. Then yeah. Bar joined the show. Har har har. But I, I, I want to first define what culture is, and it, it's it's culture to us is anything you celebrate or tolerate. So. If, in fact, you have a really talented jerk on your team and uh, you tolerate it, then that's what the culture is. That's what, you know, results matter over everything else. And we, we don't believe that's the case. We believe that people working in strong teams, collaborating, trusting, uh, pushing each other, but doing so for the benefit of the aggregate is what wins. And that is true for both on the pitch or on the ice and on the court. I have to ask, when in sports, yes, that formula works. You need that person out there. It's like, yeah, I'm going to be a bit of a jerk, but it's for the benefit of the team. Uh, when it carries over to like a, a work area, it's a totally different thing. And I think that's what people may forget about the differences between a sports atmosphere and the regular workplace. Yeah, but half the battle, if you look at championship caliber teams, is is managing that locker room, right? Coaches that can command the culture of that locker room. So you go back to Joel Embiid. Yes, you want a strong personality, and he is different than Ben Simmons, of course. And they each play a role in that culture. But there are certain guidelines of things that just cannot be tolerated if, in fact, those teams want to win. And that's my point. He they say up. in sports, yeah, yes. that there's greater tolerance for greater talent. It sounds like if I want to play for one of these teams, that is not the case. You have to have sort of that. I think there there are teams in every league that tolerate all uh, superstars, mega stars. Um, but I think if you look at, let's take the Golden State Warriors, you talk about what they have done in, in, over time, and they continually talk about the essence of that culture that they've created there, right? And so you can be a superstar, and you can buy into this ethic that we are here for something bigger than ourselves. And I think even LeBron, you could argue, is that's that's a pitch that he's learned over time. It's definitely true in hockey. You know, it's you, it's a weak league sport. You actually have to have your superstars buy in, um, and I think that's part of the ethic. That happens, to your point, not only in the locker room, but in the, the, the conference room as well. So what's the ambition then for Josh and David? You mentioned the Warriors and Joe Lacob. That's Kleiner Perkins. They yep. have a real estate play now with the new arena. Not easy to get a new building done in San Francisco, but they've done it, and I'm sure they're reaping the revenue of those uh, that edifice. What's next for Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. Where are we expanding? What else are we looking at? So Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment is, is technically two years old, but it dates back to 2011 when Josh and David bought the, the 76ers, and then 2013 when Scott came in, then I came in, is when we started to formulate what this could be. And I think the first piece is how do we leverage this incredibly strong culture incredibly talented group of people we have. How do we leverage it to do two things? One is to have growth. That growth can come through acquisition. It can come through new entities. It can come through innovation. It can come through merger uh, like we did or um, uh, like we did with uh, Elevate. Um, and it can come through... Um, well, let's tell the listeners what organic Elevate is. Group. It's a partnership yep. with... Ticketmaster and, and Oakview Group yeah, and Oakview. and uh, the 49ers. So we created a, a partnership uh, to go out and consult in the industry, working with people like the XFL and uh, the new NHL team in Seattle uh, to actually help them market and grow uh, their business. So that's an example of 
good partners, creating an opportunity. And then there's going to be acquisition of teams and leagues that we are bullish on and things that are going to happen. But uh, HBSE is all about growth, 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 growth. And that's why we're here. We're talking to Hugh Weber, the president of Harris Blitzer Sports Ampersand there we go. <laughs> Entertainment. <laughs> and, and Scott brought up uh, about the new home for the Warriors. And somebody said something that, uh, that I heard that it's brand new, it's beautiful, but there really isn't anything there. There are really no restaurants there or anything. Obviously, because it's brand new, obviously it will come right. with bars and everything. Uh, you guys don't have that problem at all. Well, it, it, two, two different uh, stories. But we do believe that these venues are hubs uh, for uh, content, activity, commerce. And if you see over time, it's been well-documented in, in communities all over North America and even in Europe and now in China, but where you see these buildings go in. I think Washington's a great case with the Capital One Center. You know, 12 years ago, I don't think anybody goes to that part of D.C., and now it's vibrant, lots of activity. Only those brave enough to do the Mongolian barbecue <laughs> go there. That was me! There you have it. Shang's uh, <laughs> Mongolian barbecue. Yeah, and I think Newark is a city that's uh, going through a renaissance. Uh, I think that it was built, uh, you know, like now 12, 13 years ago. I think we're in a window now where we're going to see us uh, actively get engaged in real estate in and around Prudential Center. We think that proximity to New York and the incredible things that are happening here, it's a gem, and you're going to see us invest there. So if Amazon's looking for, you know, that hub two, do you play a role in wooing Corporate? Yeah. So a year or so ago, when Amazon was touring the globe, um, you know, looking for their second headquarters, I was actively involved with uh, not only the state leadership, the Governor Murphy was uh, heavily uh, leading, and also the Mayor of Newark, Ross Baraka. Um, and yeah, I was on a, a, a small group of committee that was uh, working with them. And when they did come, I was actively working with their HR people and their developers about what they needed. And and uh, unfortunately, they did not choose Newark, but I think. Um, I think Newark being a final city, I think it was more um, an attribute of the fact that this is a, a community that's ripe for good things. Hugh, you obviously oversee both the Devils and the 76ers. There are similarities between NHL and NBA teams, 41 home games, similar sized arenas, obviously some differences. Uh, give us, Tell us something that maybe our listeners wouldn't think of originally about the difference between running some business headaches or, or, or different challenges that you face running an NBA franchise and then versus an NHL franchise. Right. So there's the obvious ones. You know, we have, and that is the demographic of our fans, mm -hmm. right? So if you think about AHBSE as this operating entity, which I am helping lead, we want our fans to see that not through our lens, but through their lens. So the 76ers fans have to feel like we are full Philadelphia, full South Jersey. This is who we are. Our branding can't be anything that's corporate or whatever. The same for the Devils in North New Jersey, right? So just the fact that you have the same people maybe working on it, you have to see it through the lens of our fans first. And I think that goes to the experience as well. Another major difference is we actually own and run the building in Northern New Jersey, and we don't uh, for the center in Philadelphia. So there are natural just challenges and changes. I've been in other markets where I was a tenant as well. And how you partner with the, the primary um, operator, how you work, you just have to think about it differently. But there's a lot of similarities too. You know, how how you map out your, your marketing, how you build your content plan, um, how you go direct to consumer, which we think is the future of sports, uh, which I hope we touch upon. 
And all of those things are areas that we're focusing uh, in more broad ways, uh, in a symmetry way. Can you give us an example of something that maybe works for the 76ers that you wouldn't do with the Devils or something that works with the Devils that, that you wouldn't do with the 76ers just because different sports or different markets? Yeah, so um, I think that the game experience obviously very different for an NBA game than it is for for um, for, for an NHL game. And so how are we, we, we have our folks, for example, we have someone who leads game entertainment for the 76ers who all, and then we have somebody else who leads it for the Devils. And that was intentional that there's two separate people because, again, we didn't want that to become too much that we were, you know, kind of just having efficiencies across both. Um, and that, in fact, they were, it was a curated experience at each level. And so, again, if you go to the 76ers and you see what they do in terms of how they, the flow of the game and the mission of what they're trying to accomplish, it's different than a Devils game, you know. And so, how we're featuring fans on the Jumbotron, that is a huge strategy for the Devils. We want fans to feel engaged on that big screen, and so you'll go to a game and you'll see lots of fan shots. You go to the Devils, or go to the 76ers, the stars of the show are on the court, right? Mm -hmm. We got a team that's poised to be, um, you know, the best in the world, and so you have these amazing athletes and you feature them as the stars of the show. That's a small nuance, again, Mm -hmm. but if you said, listen, our philosophy across the board is that we feature our fans, it would show up very differently. Yeah, but that kiss cam is still popular no matter where you go. We it, actually don't do the kiss cam anymore. Uh, that, I, I, real quick, I got to tell you the story. Thanks for coming to Prudential Center, Michael Barr. Appreciate that. No, you should say the dancing, no. the dancing usher is very popular. He, he's going to love this story about what happened. I was on the kiss cam one time. I was at Ford Field with my wife. and she all said of a no? Sudden, she said no. No, you know what she did? She realized Ran she away. was on the kiss cam. I didn't realize it. And she got excited and she said, we're on the kiss cam. Except she took her elbow and ran it right in my face. And now my glasses are all cockeyed. I'm on the kiss cam the, the and everybody's accidental laughing. accidental elbow. Yeah, it was. Yeah. That's why I think the kiss so, cam So, but it's funny that cool. you think about the kiss cam and you think it's a pretty popular, uh, you know, uh, feature within most games. But... Actually, if you think about how we think about, quote, couples in our society, it's very different than it was 10 years ago, right? And so you've seen teams that have featured two people that look like you could have been sitting next to a woman, but maybe you were with the person to your right instead of the person to your left. Uh, yeah, that's true. And so there's assumptions. I'm the person to his left, and he could not be with me. I'm sorry, you. Uh, you said it, not me. Yes, um, Lord. But but those are the types of things, candidly, we have to think through running yeah. teams that uh, that you, you want to make sure that you're celebrating the best part of that event and not necessarily running into pit- pitfalls. We like to make our guests happy. And I can tell you want to talk about direct-to-consumer notice. <laughs> I, I don't know why I have an inkling that perhaps this no, is something you'd like to touch it's, upon. Yeah. It's something we talk about a lot, think about a lot. You think about the, the, the last time you bought something from a telemarketer. When was the last time someone called you on the phone and said, hey... Some devil's rep trying exactly. to get me to buy tickets. So I was hung up. <laughs> and yet in, in sports, uh, this is how we sell uh, our packages, right? So it, you know, we've talked about this being an easy business. It's all about season tickets, and it's about partnerships, and it's about sweet sales for sure. But I think how this industry is going to evolve over the next 10 years is going to be fascinating to watch it unfold. Now, are we talking about content delivery? Are we talking about Both. marketing? You know, it, if, it, really, the entire experience, soup to nuts, will be one-on-one. The more I know about you, the more data I collect from you, the better I can know you, deliver what you want. Think about how you are currently uh, 
conducting commerce in your own life. You know, you might have be on your Twitter feed or your Instagram feed or something, and a, an ad pops up. You click it. Pretty soon, it takes you, and then all of a sudden, you realize you're th- you're contemplating whether you should buy this thing or not, right? And so, I think the generation of consumers that are coming, like the idea of actually answering your phone to a stranger to have them talk you through why you should come to a game is insane. Yeah. And yet, that's how we do it, right? We have over 150 young people uh, in our organization alone that are spending all of their time doing that. And so um, we are spending a lot of time both on the content side, because we believe that that is the gateway to have that experience start, and then on the transactional side as you work through that process to get to uh, a kind of lifetime value of a customer. How available are your players? Because like you said, they are the stars. They are the easiest conduit to the hearts and minds of fans. How available are they to help you with these efforts? So it's interesting. Each league is different, right? The NBA stars are much more cognizant of the value of their images and their tweets. But they'd rather do it on their own Instagram page. Than do it on the they have their own brands, yeah. so it's more of a collaboration with them for sure. NHL players are different, right? They they're not as uh, maybe sophisticated in terms of how they're managing their brands, and there are exceptions. I think PK Subban is one. He has over a million followers on uh, Twitter and Instagram, and even more than the team. And I think he is very very intentional about how he uses his brand. Um, so I think every my, the, the answer to your question is every player is a little bit different in how you're working with them to to accentuate what their brand is with their their fans. Hugh, I want to ask you about the opportunity for for teams and leagues really in in, in sports gambling. Uh, New Jersey, one of the first states to to legalize sports gambling last year. Uh, you told Bloomberg TV I think about a year ago that you thought the opportunity for the Devils was around. $5 million a year. The Devils have been active, I think, for sports betting partnerships right now. Was that $5 million roughly right? How do you kind of view, now that we're a year in and you have two teams in sports legal sports betting markets, kind of how do you view the opportunity? It right was now? roughly directionally right. I think we had, um, obviously, some uh, some opportunities that uh, we are using maybe now in Philadelphia, because it's now legal in Pennsylvania yeah. as well. So they have, we have some broad partnerships across oh, both teams. Yeah. The, the downfall of Michael Barr. <laughs> you know, They've also legalized video poker now as of today. So it sounds like a personal issue. I just can't wait for marijuana. I think Barr's got it all. Oh, man. He might never get out of bed. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Drags himself right up. By the way, he's going to run the marathon next year. Really? This man you see. Is this is this the public record of this uh, declaration that you're. This is the public record that I thought about it and. I, it, I, the promo for the uh, marathon came up, and I turned to my wife, and uh, I said, "Honey, and somebody would have asked you." It was, was this on the camera? See, and I said, "Honey, I'm, I'm you know the about this marathon." And then she said, very with a snark laugh, <laughs> "You want to run the marathon?" <laughs> And then, obviously, now I'm cheesed off. It's like, yeah, now I'm going to run the marathon. So Linda cares about one thing. The policy's paid. Yeah, that's all, that's all she's checking before she gives you the okay to go outside and no, run. She's a loving wife. She said, "Look, just go to the doctor. Make sure the doctor says yeah, that that's you're what cool, I mean. And then it's yeah, go get the policy. It's all good. But it, I know we got to wrap this up. But I want to bring up esports. What your story or mine? Yeah, I mean, this one, we'll, we'll wrap this one up real quick. He's gonna talk no matter what. <laughs> I want to talk about esports, and you guys are into it, and I'm I'm amazed that how esports has exploded. 
uh, and and you guys are deep into it. Can you tell us? That yeah, it's quick? it's fa- it's a fascinating narrative. If you think about esports because it's almost the exact opposite of most sports. Like most sports are, it's a you play it, you do it, and then over time the fan base is built up. And now who would have guessed that the championship game for the NFL, the Super Bowl, is seen worldwide? This is just the opposite. This had all this fan following, had all these people that were engaged with the content. And yet, people were trying to figure out how to, you know, commercialize it. Like it's, it's just exactly the opposite. So we're but that fan base. It may have some pushback on that traditional commercialization effort. Well, I think again, back to our initial conversation about fans wanting authentic connection to their teams. You know, so yes, it has to be done in an authentic way. They don't want it to see, you know, commercialized. They want to have their kind of endemic brands they're used to. They want to be able to participate and, and follow um, their their the players directly, which which we see in esports. We're very engaged, invested in the ecosystem of esports. So when I say ecosystem, it's bigger than the team sports. It's, it's, there's more than uh, just the teams. There's content. We're invested in some uh, interesting platforms like UGG, which is actually helping players get better. Um, so, so we see this as a holistic kind of uh, platform um, that, that's going to just grow over time. And it's global, and it's big, and, um, and we're excited. All right. That's Hugh Weber, president of Harris Blitzer Sports. Ampersand. Entertainment. Thank you. Hey, I had a story about Wooden Nichols, but I'll save that for another time. Thank God. Hugh, thanks so much for coming in. Enjoy it, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Hugh's a cool guy. And uh, Evan Scott, he dropped a lot of knowledge on us. When you have a team like the 76ers or the Devils, and you have that big name like a Joel Embiid, and yes, he's controversial, but man, he fills the seats. Yeah, for me, it's about culture that so often in sports we see the greater the talent of the player, the greater the uh, latitude he or she is given. And we saw that with a certain wide receiver with the Steelers and the Patriots. You just get the feeling that it's not going to be that way with these franchises. If you step out of the corporate culture, what do they stand for? You will not be there. Guys, I don't know how the, the main takeaway isn't Michael Barr running the marathon. <laughs> I was going to say I was going to say kiss cam, but anyway. Uh, but beyond that, um, yeah, I, I thought you know hearing you talk about you know the, the the different ways in which the experience in arena at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia with the 76ers is different from the one at the Presidential Center uh, with Devils fans. Super interesting, and and you brought up the kiss cam. Um, not only that, you know the fact that you know the the Devils will will show people in the stands, the people in the audience more um, because they want to build kind of a, a fan, kind of family environment versus the 76ers who are a better team. They have more stars. The players end up on the Jumbotron uh, a lot more than the fans do. Just an interesting perspective, things that I think people wouldn't wouldn't normally think of when they think about differences in those sports. Unless you remember they own one building and they don't. They're a tenant. Right. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since the kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Number of the week, zero. Okay. Oh, gosh. That is, I'm going to, I'll even make it easier. That's the (laughs) number of games this team has won so far this season. Which team is it? Who's winless? Uh, if it's the NFL, it's the Bengals. That is correct. Ever won a Bengals? doggone game? That's not good. Yeah, that's not good at I, all. Also, but the amount of losses that. for the uh, 49ers. Yeah, I'm still more surprised about the Cleveland Browns and however many they've won, but just 
that this season. Everybody with a hot pick, right? Well, I, I, and I was buying in, but I, there's been a lot of criticism about Freddie Kitchens and his coaching abilities. Now, I'm not, you know, I, I don't like I always love it. Let's face it. I don't know enough about football to be questioning whether a head coach in the NFL is doing the right or wrong thing, and most people don't. But the bottom line is, do you win the game? I mean, yeah. that, that, this is a zero-sum game at the pro sport level. Do you win? Right now, he's not winning. Can we make a business argument that you would rather go 0-16 than 1-15? Uh, no. You get a better draft. Ostensibly, you like lock up the, the, yes, the top can. draft pick. Yes, you can. Um, and it's just, it's just memorable, right? Like the, you're not like you're going to sell anything no, off like of it. Like the Detroit Lions that year. Literally nowhere to go but. But it gets people talking about you, which isn't nothing. And you get, you know, your, your top pick in, in the NFL. Evan, I have said this before. Yeah. What is, what is the worst thing you can be in professional sports? Irrelevant. Irrelevant. And if you're 0-16, you're part of the conversation. I agree. Good, bad, whatever. Agreed. You're 2-14, and 14, you're irrelevant. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports, and we are here each and every week for you at the same time. Plus, online, wherever you get your podcast, you can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter, at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter, at Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams. You can follow me at Novi underscore Williams. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business world. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.